0: If you'd like to follow, follow along, I'll be reading Genesis chapters 43, verse 1, through Genesis 45, verse 15. Now the famine was severe in the land, and when they had eaten the grain that they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, Go again, buy us a little food. But Judah said to him, They replied, The man questioned us carefully about ourselves and our kindred, saying, Is your father still alive? Do you have another brother? What we told him was an answer to these questions. Could we in any way know that he would say, Bring your brother down? And Judah said to Israel, His father, Send the boy with me, and we will arise and go, that we may live and not die. Both we and you, and also our little ones, I will be a pledge of his safety. From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. If we had not delayed, we would now have returned twice. Then their father Israel said to them, if it must be so, then do this. Take some of the choice fruits of the land in your bags and carry a present down to the man, a little balm and a little honey, gum, myrrh, pistachio nuts, and almonds. Take double the money with you. Carry back with you the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. Take also your brother and arise. Go again to the man. May God Almighty grant you mercy before the man. And may he send back your other brother and Benjamin. And as for me, if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. So the men took this present, and they took double the money with them and Benjamin. They arose and went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph. But when, when Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of the house, Bring the men into the house and slaughter an animal and make ready, for the men are to dine with me at noon. The man did as Joseph told him and brought the men into Joseph's house. And the men were afraid because they were brought to Joseph's house and they said, it is because of the money which was replaced in our sacks the first time that we are brought in so that he may assault us and make... And fall upon us and make us servants and seize our our donkeys. So they went up to the steward of Joseph's house and spoke with him at the door of the house and said, Oh, my Lord, we came down the first time to buy food. And when we came to the lodging place, we opened our sacks and there was each man's money in the mouth of his sack, our money in full weight. So we have brought it again with us. And we have brought other money down with us to buy food. We do not know who put our money in our sacks. He replied, Peace be to you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has put treasure in your sacks for you. I received your money. Then he brought Simeon out to them. And when the man had brought the men into Joseph's house and given them water, And they had washed their feet, and when he had given their donkeys fodder, they prepared the present for Joseph's coming at noon, for they heard that they should eat bread there. When Joseph came home, they brought into the house to him the present that they had with them and bowed down to him to the ground. And he inquired about their welfare and said, Is your father well? The old man of whom you spoke, is he still alive? They said, Your servant our father is well. He is still alive. And they bowed their heads and prostrated themselves. And he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, Is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? God be gracious to you, my son. Then Joseph hurried out, for his compassion grew warm for his brother and he sought a place to weep and he entered his chamber and wept there then he washed his face and came out and controlling himself he said serve the food they served him by themselves by him they served him by himself and them by themselves and the egyptians who ate with him by themselves because the egyptians could not eat with the hebrews for that is an abomination to the egyptians and they sat before him "'the firstborn according to his birthright "'and the youngest according to his youth. "'And the men looked at one another in amazement. "'Portions were taken to them from Joseph's table, "'but Benjamin's portion was five times "'as much as any of theirs, "'and they drank and were merry with him. "'Then he commanded the steward of the house, "'Fill the men's sacks with food, "'as much as they can carry,' And put each man's money in the mouth of his sack and put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest with his money for the grain. And he did as Joseph told him. As soon as the morning was light, the men were sent away with their donkeys. They had gone only a short distance from the city. Now Joseph said to his steward, up, follow after the men. And when you overtake them, say to them, "'Why have you repaid evil for good? "'Is it not from this that my Lord drinks, "'and by this that he practices divination? "'You have done evil in doing this.' "'When he overtook them, he spoke to them these words. "'They said to him, "'Why does my Lord speak such words as these? "'Far be it from your servant to do such a thing.' Behold, the money that we found in the mouths of our sacks we brought back to you from the land of Canaan. How then could we steal silver or gold from your Lord's house? Whichever of your servants is found with it shall die, and we also will be my Lord's servants. He said, Let it be as you say. He who is found with it shall be my servant, and the rest of you shall be innocent. Then each man quickly lowered his sack to the ground. And each man opened his sack, and he searched, beginning with the eldest and ending with the youngest, and the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Then they tore their clothes, and every man loaded his donkey, and they returned to the city. When Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, he was still there. They fell before him to the ground. Joseph said to them, What deed is this you have done? Do you not know that a man like me can indeed practice divination? And Judah said, What shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how can we clear ourselves? God has found out the guilt of your servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also in whose hand the cup has been found. But he said, Far be it from me that I should do so. Only the man is whose hand the cup was found shall be my servant. But as for you, go up in peace to your father. Then Judah went up to him and said, O my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's ears, and let not your anger burn against your servant, for you are like Pharaoh himself. My Lord asks his servant, saying, Have you a father or a brother? And we said to my Lord, we have a father, an old man, and a young brother, the child of his old age. His brother is dead, and he alone is left of his mother's children, and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, bring him down to me, that I may set my eyes on him. We said to my Lord, the boy cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. Then you said to your servants, unless your younger brother comes down with you, you shall not see my face again. When we, brought, when we went back to your servant, my father, we told him the words of my Lord. And when our father said, go again, buy us a little food, we said, we cannot go down. For, our youngest, for if our youngest brother goes with us, then we will go down. For we cannot see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Then your servant, my father, said to us, You know that my wife bore me two sons. One left me, and I said, Surely he has been torn to pieces, and I have never seen him since. If you take this one also from me and harm happens to him, you will bring down my gray hairs in evil to Sheol. Now, therefore... then I shall bear the blame before my, father's, before my father all my life. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord and let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father. Then Joseph could not control himself. Before all those who stood by him, he cried, Make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud, so that the Egyptians heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children and your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. There I will provide for you, for there are yet five years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty." And now your eyes see, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see, that it is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father of all my honor in Egypt, and of all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept upon his neck, and he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. After that, his brothers talked with him. This ends the reading of god 's holy word.
1: I hope you brought lunch. If it takes forty minutes just to read it, imagine preaching it. what a what a rich text we are this morning. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Josh, and I have the the privilege to preach this amazing passage here this morning. The title of this passage uh, is The Sweet Providence of Famine. The title is a shocking title. It's almost a scandalous title. And the reason is that it's synonymous to, if I would say, The Sweet Providence of Bankruptcy or the sweet providence of broken relationships, or the sweet providence of unemployment, or the sweet providence of cancer. And it just feels wrong to hear those words. And if you hear the sweet providence of famine, and it does not sound the same harshness as the sweet providence of cancer, it's probably because we don't understand famine very well. We think of famine as a lack of food for a little bit. It's, it's like when the bakery is out of your favorite muffin for a week. But that, my friends, that's not famine. And we will see that Jacob and his sons with all their people in Canaan and Egypt and the whole region, remember that what they ate and what they depended on was their produce. They had no Walmart and no Kroger. They couldn't go down and buy a leg of lamb and a bread. They had to eat what they produced. The crop that they grew, the fruit that, that was, was on the trees, and the, the, the um, meat of the livestock that they, they had. And if for seven years there is drought and there is no crop, and there is no fruit, and there is no livestock, then this is not like your muffin is not there. Then they are faced with famine, which results in death. So thousands and thousands of people have died because of this famine. And so when when we say the sweet providence of famine, it is... It seems insensitive at best. And I'm sure some of you are going, Josh, have you heard of bitter providence? Could you have called it bitter providence? I've heard of it, but I believe that the title is correct. And I believe that because I think that this text this morning will show us that God sovereignly causes and uses trials and suffering like famine to lead His people to repentance so that we may receive forgiveness and reconciliation. And church, if God does that for us, if He ordains our struggles and if He uses our sufferings for those purposes to lead us to repentance so that we may receive forgiveness and reconciliation with men and with God, then surely those struggles are sweet providences of God. The problem is, unfortunately, that the God that is proclaimed in much of Christianity these days is not the God of the Bible. We hear a lot of a God who is out there on the fringes somehow cheering us on to make the best, helping us, pushing us forward to become the best me, giving me just what I need to be as successful as I possibly can, that ultimately I'm in control of my life and God is there as a cheerleader or somebody who rubber stamps just what I want to do with my life. But can I just say this is not the sovereign God of the Bible, Hear what A.W. Pink says. This is a a longish quote, but listen to this amazing quote from A.W. Pink about the sovereignty of God. He says, what do we mean by this expression, the sovereignty of God? We mean the supremacy of God, the kingship of God, the godhood of God. To say that God is sovereign is to declare that He is God. To say that God is sovereign is to declare that He is the Most High, doing according to His will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth, so that none can stay His hand or say unto Him, What have you done? To say that God is sovereign is to declare that He is almighty, the possessor of all power in heaven and on earth. So that none can conceal His counsels, thwart His purposes, or resist His will. To say that God is sovereign is to declare that He rules over the nations. Setting up kingdoms, overthrowing empires, and determining the course of dynasties as it pleases Him best. To say that God is sovereign is to declare that He is the only potentate Or sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, such is the God of the Bible." He is not, church, in the background encouraging and rubber stamping our plans. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords supremely reigning over every second of your life, ruling every dust particle and every molecule of water on earth. Such is the God who we see in these chapters this morning who causes and uses, two important words, causes and uses trials and suffering to lead us to repentance so that we may receive forgiveness and reconciliation. And so as we look at the trials and the sufferings, we see that there's obviously an overarching trial that is happening here that affects everybody in this narrative and it is this famine. And there's no, there's no argument that this is of God. If God is, God is in control of rain, everybody believes that. And so if rain stops for seven years, and there is no food, and there is no water, and people die because of it, this is a severe suffering brought on by God. But there's also a more focused trial that is present in this story and is the testing of Joseph's brothers and their father. Now, Chris preached last week, chapter 42, through everything that we read this morning is actually one long story, right? And so Chris preached last week in, on the beginning of the testing of the brothers when when we saw Joseph's 10 brothers in chapter 42 Come to Egypt the first time to buy food so that they may live and not die. And Joseph recognized them. And so we saw several things that, he, that, that Chris showed us in chapter 42 that shows us this testing of his brothers. In verse 7, we saw that Joseph spoke roughly to his brothers. In verse 9, we saw that he accused them of being spies, punishable by death. In verse 17, he imprisoned all of them for three days. In verse 24, he bound Simeon in front of them and put him in jail as he sent the rest of them back. In verse 20, he told them, To go and get Benjamin and come back. And do not come back without him because you will not see my face or get your other brother back. And then in verse 25, he gave orders to replace the money in their bags. And when they were founded, they were terrified. This was severe, severe testing for their brothers. And they felt the weight of it clearly. And we see in verse 28 of chapter 42... That when they discovered the money in their bags, their hearts failed them and they turned trembling to one another. This was not just something that happened. They realized this was a severe difficulty on them. Their testing, though, and their suffering did not stop in chapter 42. I'm sure they wish it did. But it continues through chapter 43 and 44. And the first trial, the first testing we see actually comes to Jacob, their father, who has to trust God to send his beloved Benjamin with his brothers to buy more grain. Now remember in chapter 42 and verse 38 what his, his position was on that. He said, My son shall not go down with you. He has already lost His beloved son Joseph, one of two sons that he had with his beloved wife Rachel, he was not about to lose his second son, and he was digging in his heels about that. But the severity of this famine, their desperate need for food, which we saw is from God, and the fact that Simeon was held up in Egypt... And the adamant plea from the brothers, especially Judah, who rose as the leader among them, saying that they will not go down there without Benjamin, because the man in Egypt said they will not see his face without Benjamin. All of that pressure eventually got Jacob to the place where he says, take the boy and go he had to trust God in the midst of his trial and get to the place where he can say, and as, as as for me, if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. He is saying, I will trust this to the Lord. I will not trust myself. And we can see that God caused and used these severe circumstances to to force jacob in a sense to help jacob to trust him with benjamin's safety rather than trusting himself with the protection of his son and then we see the testing of the brothers continued it starts in chapter 43 and verse 29 if you want to look there with me have your bibles open and as i'm I'm going to reflect this is a long passage so I may just tell you the verses, and you can just look in your Bible with me. Chapter 43 and verse 29, when Joseph met his brothers, and he saw Benjamin, he spoke a blessing, but he only spoke that blessing over Benjamin. God be gracious to you, my son. And then in chapter 43 verse 34 when they sat down to eat with Joseph and portions of food was taken from Joseph's table and distributed to the brothers whom he already arranged in age oh oh something's up the portions that were taken to Benjamin was 5 times bigger than all the rest of the brothers and then in chapter 44, in verse 1, Joseph gave that order to take his special cup, place it in Benjamin's bag, and let them go, and then woke up his servant, and go like, overtake them, search them, and then bring them back here. And obviously they found that cup in Benjamin's bag. Again, a serious, serious crime. Friends, Joseph's test of his brothers was carefully crafted. He obviously was singling Benjamin out by speaking a blessing over him only and giving him much more food. He was making Benjamin look special in front of his brothers like he himself was special to his father when he was young. And by putting the cup in Benjamin's bag, he gave his brothers every opportunity in the world to do what they did to him. Let's turn our backs on the special one. Why would he do this? He obviously was not trying to to destroy them. Because... If he wanted to destroy his brothers, he could have put them in jail when he first saw them in chapter 42. He could have imprisoned them and tortured them a long time ago. But here's this thing. Joseph was not trying to destroy his brothers. He was trying to be reconciled with them. And we see throughout this passage that he was kind and compassionate with his brothers. And on several occasions, he had, to, he had to go away from them so that he could go cry in private because he was so compassionate about them. Now, this testing of his brothers was not to destroy them. It was meant to lead them to repentance. Like God's kindness, according to Romans 2 and verse 4, is meant to lead us to repentance. His trials of his brothers, his testing of his brothers was meant to lead them to repentance. He wanted to see whether there there was any change in his brothers. Were they still the old men who, when one of the brothers seemed special, would turn on him in a second? They could have done that right there. Sorry, buddy. This cup was found in in your possession, Benjamin. You're going to just have to stay here. We're going to have to go tell Dad. Sorry, Dad. Or has God been working in them? Has God brought change in them? Are they aware of their sins? And are they willing to repent and protect their brother? Now let's break in. When you think of Joseph's brothers, do you think that they knew what was going on here? Do you think that every everything that has happened, every time there's a testing that came to them, they knew exactly what was happening? And they said to themselves, "Oh, we know what this is. We got this. This is our brother." And he's testing us to see if we're still bad or if we become good. And if we pass his test, we're going to be fine. If we don't, we're not going to be fine. So just, just keep in there, guys. We're going to make this. Of course they didn't. They had no idea at all. They had no idea what was going on. For them, this was a nightmare. For them, this was nothing other than pure suffering. They had no idea what was behind all of this testing. Did Joseph know? Of course he knew. Joseph carefully planned the steps he took in testing his brothers. He knew exactly. Now hear this, church. You and I, we are the brothers In this story. And the struggles that you have faced last week, last month, last year, last decade, and the trials that you will face tomorrow, next week, next year, until the end of your life, which can feel like a random collection of life sucks moments that seem to break you down, that just feels like utter suffering and that feels like it has no purpose, listen, these are not random events that just happen to you. Just because we do not understand our sufferings, do not make them without purpose. The events in your life and in my life are carefully crafted by a sovereign God the Almighty, the Lord of Lords, to bring about His purpose in our lives. He wants us to turn to Him. He wants us to trust Him. He wants us to repent. He wants to reveal more of Himself to us. His plans, these difficult plans, are not plans for evil to tear us down. They are plans for our benefit their plans to give us a future their plans to give us a hope these plans are god's kindness to us which leads us to repentance they are god's sweet providences although they may not feel sweet they are god's sweet providences in our lives joseph's brothers had no idea about the reason for their trials. Just like you and I have no idea for the reason behind our everyday trials. But know this, behind their trials and behind your trials, there is a providential God who works all things for the good for those who love Him. He longs for you and for me to know him and to love him and to grow in our affection for him. And he will carefully craft trials to guide us, to open our eyes, and to lead us to repentance before him. Friends, if you are in the middle of severe trial this morning or this week to come, I want to ask you, do not rebel against God's testing. But rather look to Him and ask Him, Lord, will you complete the good work that you've started in me even through these trials that you're sending my way? Humble yourself and ask Him to reveal Himself to you through his, this suffering. And He will do that. Amen. He will do that as He has done this for. Joseph's brothers. It's obviously from our passage that there has already been signs that God has been convicting the brothers of their sin that they committed. Back in chapter 42, in verse 21, the brothers saying to one another these words, In truth, we are guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. God has already been convicting the brothers of their sin. God was using the plan that, that Joseph was having, this testing. God was using this already to show the brothers their Guilt before Joseph and before him. We also see in chapter 43 and verse 16. The brothers said to Joseph. God has found out the guilt of your servants. Now let's be clear about this. If you and I see our guilt before God. It's not because we got there on our own. If we see our guilt before God, it is because God has allowed us to see our guilt before Him. And so this is obvious from this passage that there is already something happening. God is showing these brothers their guilt. And it continues, and we see the greatest proof of this change that God has worked in them. And that this trial was leading the brothers to repentance in that amazing section this, this uh, monologue that Judah had with Joseph, this repentance, and some may say, oh, but not all the, not, this is not a full repentance, but church, look at this. It's an extraordinary portion of scriptures. The, the brothers' circumstances just turned as bad as it possibly could. What their father, Jacob, feared most was about to happen, that he was going to lose his son, Benjamin. Benjamin. That's the one thing he said. I don't want to send my son Benjamin with you. I cannot lose him. That is about to happen. And then we see in chapter 44, verse 18 through verse 34. I'm not going to read the whole section again. We see Judah going up to Joseph and say, "Um, let me, my Lord, may, may I speak these words in your ear? And he has this passionate plea before Joseph to not keep Benjamin, but to keep him, Joseph, instead of his brother. What an amazing thing. There's at least four things, there are more, but there's at least four things that we see that is evidence that that is coming from a penitent, contrite, repentant heart in Judah's life. The first thing is that Judah approaches Joseph with great humility. Rather than to try and argue with, with Joseph about, we didn't. it wasn't us who stole the money, it wasn't us who stole the cup, we really are not spies. He doesn't do any of that. What he does is he humbles himself. He addresses Joseph as my Lord throughout his passionate plea. He does not try and make excuses. He does not try and... F- focus on somebody else. He is completely humble, which is completely the opposite Judah than what Joseph knows. And friends, this attitude, this humility is the basis on which repentance is built. Because without humility, there can be no true repentance. So we see in Judah's life that he, he is humble, he is repentant. The second thing that we see is that jo- Judah shows tremendous care and respect for their father, Jacob. In, in those verses, he uses the word father 14 times. And he explains how their father loves Benjamin, how his life is bound up in Benjamin's life. And how he will die if they go back without Benjamin. But what we don't see is jealousy. He's not speaking those words from a jealous heart. He's speaking it from a, a caring heart. He deeply cares for his father's, For his father. And where once he did not respect him in selling Joseph away. He now respects his father. Third thing, we see a deep care for Benjamin, obviously, offering himself in the place of Benjamin to be kept there. Again, this is completely a different Judah than what we saw in chapter 37, verse 27, who, who made the suggestions to his brothers, come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites where he cared so much more about himself and his brothers at that time than what he cared for about Joseph or their father, now it's completely reversed and he cares deeply about his father and he cares deeply about Benjamin and he's willing to make right. And fourthly, he shows total integrity to the promise that he made to his father that he would become a pledge of safety for Benjamin's sake. He's not trying to escape the consequences. He's simply walking in integrity before Joseph, before his father, before God, saying, I will take his place. And friend, it is is clear that God sovereignly caused and used the trials in Judah's life to lead him to this point of repentance. And the result? The result was that he and his brothers received forgiveness and reconciliation. As a result of Judah's passionate plea, and after seeing the evidence of change that God brought about in them, Joseph could control himself no longer. And we see in chapter 45, verse 1, Joseph chases everybody else out the room. And then Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and he wept aloud. And in verse 4, he says, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. But you must love this. In verse 3b, it says, But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. Yeah, I guess so. You know what dismayed means? It is the sudden or complete loss of courage as by danger or trouble. Utter disillusionment. Yeah, I guess so. I guess if I sold my brother into slavery, lied about it for 20 years, and he's now the most powerful man in Egypt and is accusing me of all kinds of crimes and he reveals himself to me, I I guess dismayed, really subtle word, would be my feeling also. Maybe sick to the stomach or... Or um, panic-stricken or terrified would be, it's, it's still subtle words. Can you imagine the thoughts of these brothers? Oh my word, what is he going to do with us? Surely he's going to punish us. Surely he's going to put us in prison. Surely this is bad for us. If there's one thing the brothers did not expect, I'm sure, and they did not deserve, it was forgiveness. They sold their young brother into slavery and they lied about it for 20 years. They deserved every bit of Joseph's wrath. At that moment. And you can just imagine their thoughts. We've been found out. Surely today is our day of reckoning. But what we see from the text is so amazing. Instead of speaking harshly, accusatory, angrily, judgmentally. Joseph speaks words of forgiveness. And in chapter 45 and verse 5, Joseph says these words, And now, do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. You're like, what? His first words are not to indict them, but it is to immediately to put their distressed hearts at rest. Do not be angry with yourselves. And as God's representative, Joseph models God's forgiveness to his brothers. Hebrews 8 and verse 12 says this about God. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities. And I will not remember their sins any longer. And it seems like Joseph, by God's grace, is doing exactly that. Brothers, I don't want to punish you. I want to be reconciled with you. And his reply carries more grace than what they ever deserved or what they ever imagined. Their actions towards him was pure evil, but right there, Joseph made evil a slave to grace. Now, hurry. Go oh, get my father and his children and their children and tell him to come here. I'll look after them. I want to rec- be reconciled with my family and with my father. And in verse 14 and 15, we see them falling on each other and crying and weeping and kissing and talking. Church, what, what an amazing picture of forgiveness and reconciliation. And if you're like me, you have to wonder, how is it, Joseph? You're showing me up here. How is it that you can so fully and so freely and so quickly forgive and speak peace to your brothers? They made his life miserable for years. And even now even now that he has an esteemed position, he must remember what they did to him and all the suffering he went through. But the answer is right there for us, church. The answer is that Joseph knew that God sovereignly caused and used the trials and the sufferings in his life for very specific purposes. Look at it. Three times he states his faith in God's sovereign plan. We're in chapter 45. Verse 5. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For. Amazing little word. For. God sent me before you to preserve life. Brothers. Guys, listen to me. It was God's doing after all. You guys sold me into slavery, but that was not ultimately your decision and your doing. Behind your actions was a holy and a sovereign God who ordained this. He used you to send me to Egypt to preserve life. God is behind all of this. And because God is behind all of this, I can freely forgive you. Verse 7, he says, And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth so that you will be a blessing to keep... Sorry. God has sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. Now remember back Genesis 12 in verse 1 where we've referred back to many times. This is where God said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Friends, Joseph's life with all, all his unfair trials and sufferings was part of the fulfillment of that promise in Genesis twelve. If Jacob and his descendants all died in this famine, then the 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 promise of God to Abram could not be fulfilled. But instead God sent him to jo- sent Joseph to Egypt. To preserve a remnant so that his promise to Abram could be fulfilled. You know what it means? It means that Joseph's suffering had eternal purposes. I bet he didn't think that when he was sold into slavery. Eternal purposes. In verse 8 we see, So it was not you who sent me here, but God. Brothers, I forgive you because I fully trust that what happened to me was not the result of your evil plans, but of God's sovereign and good plan for me all along. Those are not easy words to say, especially not when you're in the middle of a trial. Because, you know, in saying this, what Joseph acknowledged is God's total sovereign control over his life. you know what that means? It means that his place in birth order with his siblings was part of God's plan. It means that Rachel's agonizing struggle with infertility was part of God's plan. It means that Jacob's romantic preference for Rachel was part of God's plan. It means that Jacob's favoritism that he's shown to Joseph was part of God's plan. It shows that Joseph's prophetic dreams were part of God's plan. His brother's jealousy, his brother's evil works against him, his brother's 20-year lie about him, the existence of an evil slave trade at the time, Joseph's favor with Potiphar, Potiphar's wife's dishonesty, the particular prison that Joseph was sent to, the cupbearer failing to remember Joseph for two years, the famine, the threat of starvation that brought them to such a terrible fear that Jacob sent his son to Egypt. All of that, all of that was under God's control is what he is saying. It's like, can you see the intricate details Of God's involvement in Joseph's life? Can you see this elaborate plan of God to bring about his purposes in Joseph's life? Listen, church. It is no less so than for any of us. The details of your life, all of it, are not hidden from God, but it is orchestrated and ruled over by God. Your struggles, your, tr- your trials, your misfortunes, along with your successes and your blessings and your joys are all similarly part of God's elaborate plan for your life to bring about His purposes in your life. These all are His sweet providences for us. May we grasp that, church, this week when we struggle, or this week when we have exuberant joys. Maybe remember that there's an elaborate plan that a sovereign God is working in me, and therefore I can forgive others like Joseph forgave his brothers. I said earlier that we are like the brothers in the story. Because our trials are not without purpose. But there's at least one more way that we are like the brothers. And that is that just as they did not deserve to receive forgiveness from Joseph or reconciliation to Joseph because of their sin against Joseph, in the same way, friends, you and I do not deserve forgiveness from God or reconciliation to God because of our sin against God. But you know, the good news is that just as they freely received forgiveness from Joseph, forgiveness is also freely offered to you and me. Ephesians 2 and verse 1 says this, And you were dead, in your trespasses and sins. Friends, our sins have us dead before God. There is nothing good in us. There's no redemptive qualities in us. When we stand before God on our merit, we are dead. But Ephesians 2 goes on from verse 4, and it says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we are dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Sounds like reconciliation? So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Boom. Drop the mic. (laughs) Jesus Christ came, church, to earth to live the perfect life, to die on a cross for our sins. So that if we repent of our sins, he could freely forgive us and reconcile us to the Father. Just like Joseph did for his brothers. To just like Joseph made evil a slave to grace by freely forgiving his brothers in a similar yet way more profound way God made evil a permanent slave to grace on the cross where Jesus Christ gave his life as a ransom for many. And so I have to ask you this morning, have you repented of your sins before God? Have you turned away from living to yourself and your own purposes? And have you started living for God? Does your life bear the fruit of someone who has repented and living for God? If not, here this morning, a clear call. There is a call for you to repent of your sins before God. Just like there was a call for Joseph's brothers. If you do not bow your knee, if you do not repent of your sins and ask forgiveness from God, then one day you will stand before the judgment throne of God guilty. And your fate will be everlasting death and everlasting separation from God. This is no small matter, church. But if you repent of your sins and you ask for forgiveness, and you trust in Jesus' salvation work on the cross, then one day when you stand before the throne of God, you will stand there on Christ's righteousness, and you will be counted innocent. And you will have everlasting life and everlasting reconciled union with God. Church, may God sovereignly cause and use trials and suffering to lead you and me to repentance so that we may receive forgiveness and reconciliation from Him. Amen.